It's, it's really great to be here with you all. I was with a, a smaller group of folks back in January, some of the teachers, the Sunday school teachers, and we had a great time. Um, so when Matthew invited me to come back, um, I was very eager, but then he asked me to teach on apologetics. And I thought, huh, um, I don't really think of myself as an apologist. I, I, I'm sorry, I really am. I say I'm sorry a lot. Yes, it took some of us. Um, I say I'm sorry a lot, but I think it means a little bit more than that. Um, But I did write this book that uh, Matthew talked about, God Behaving Badly. And um, I was kind of surprised. I had a conversation with my editor shortly after the book came out. And he kept talking about my book on apologetics. And he said this several times, my book on apologetics. And I said, Al, what are you talking about? I've only written two books, and neither of them are on apologetics. He's like, Dave, you need to go to Amazon. Look and see what Amazon says about your book. It's apologetics. I'm like, what? Nobody told me that? This is a book about the Old Testament. I've never thought of myself as an apologist. Um, But I guess I am. How did that happen? Well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I say that a lot. And we'll talk about that a lot. Hey, the summer series is on apologetics. Hopefully that's not a shock to you all. Um, You can go to the website, get more information. I'm just going to be giving kind of an introduction today to the topic. Next week I'm coming back and I'll talk about the problem of evil. So if you don't like it today, I'm sorry. I'm going to say I'm sorry a lot, right? Because isn't that what it's about? (laughs) Uh, Sorry. Sorry. I'm going to talk about the existence of God. Then um, we'll do, you guys are going to talk about evil, scripture, resurrection, a couple sessions on postmodernism, uh, journalism, and concluding with world religions. It sounds like a fantastic series. I wish I could be here more, but I'll be here just next week. But we've got to start off with and say, what is apologetics? What is apologetics? Um, It's just a defense of Christianity. A rational argument for God. Reasons, arguments, reasons for our faith. Things that help us undergird our understanding of what does it mean to be a Christian, or who God is, or questions related to all these topics. Big questions about faith. This is what apologetics is. Back up. No. Yeah, let's just stay right here. But I have a question. Why? Why is this a big deal? Why spend an entire summer talking about apologetics? I want you to do, and you're going to do this a couple times today, so if this makes you feel uncomfortable, you may want to just leave now. Turn to a person next to you and say, talk, I'm going to give you a minute. What's the purpose of apologetics? Why do we do it? Why spend a summer on this? Okay? Turn to a person next to you. Uh, twos are fine. You, I realize there's probably have an odd number in rows, so threes are okay. Why apologetics? Why spend a summer talking about it? I'm not going to give you much time. Go.
All right, let's pull it back together. I said it wasn't going to be very long. What I would like you to do in short answers, like a phrase or maybe a sentence, Max, we're not looking for paragraphs here. What did you come up with? Why? Why do apologetics? Why is this important? Learn how to defend our faith. Okay, but why? Okay, a lot of people are ignorant. Keep coming. Okay, I just talk. There are a lot of questions. A lot of questions that people are asking. We need to be addressing those questions that people are asking. What else? Somebody back there, maybe. Okay, we need to be able to give an answer. We can know it. But we need to know how to give that answer. Great. Yeah. But the Bible's under attack. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So there's attacks coming at us. Other things you guys came up with? Those are good answers. Yep. Yeah. Okay. That's good. So people look at you and they're curious and hopefully they're asking you questions why you're doing what you're doing. Very good. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot on this one here. This is a, yeah, for our own personal beliefs. Yeah, to help us understand kind of what we what we believe, what we think. Yeah. Um, back in the back and then right here and then we're going to move on. Yep. Let's have a rational discussion about this stuff. Sometimes things get kind of heated, right? You're not supposed to talk about religion and politics, right? So and <laughs> both of these realms can be kind of volatile these days. Yes? Peter the fisherman says that we should be ready to give an answer as to why we have this hope. Okay. We've got to be able to give an answer for the hope. That fisherman said that. Yeah, that's fantastic. This is great. One of the things, there, there can be a problem as we start moving into apologetics discussions, where, I'm not hearing this in what you all are saying, but I think there can be a tendency to feel like God might almost kind of need our help a little bit. Okay? Now, you, I'm sure you guys don't think this, but maybe you know people that might kind of be tending to think this way a little bit. I actually ran across a meme as I was getting ready, and I thought, this is pretty good. God doesn't need defending, but people need help understanding. There can be a way that we think about apologetics or maybe about Christianity. It's a little bit like a house of cards. What's the problem with a house of cards? <sighs> right? Christianity is not a house of cards. God doesn't need defending. Christianity has been around for a couple thousand years, and let me tell you, it's going to be around a lot longer than that. Okay? Amen. So, we can Relax. Take a deep breath right here, right now. When you're talking to people about God, faith, religion, doing apologetics, you can just relax. Because there are a lot of great arguments, a lot of great reasons. There's a lot of strong things that can uh, help us defend our faith. But just remember, God doesn't need defending. And so sometimes we may not need to be quite as aggressive as it sometimes it feels like we need to be. We're going to come back to that. Okay, so 
Now, I know some of you guys are going to expect us to talk some about the classical approaches. Now, some of you guys are getting very, very excited right now. Others of you are thinking, oh, no, what have I done? I can leave now. Let me just sneak out of the back. We need to talk about three kind of classical approaches to apologetics. Well, three standard or the, the most common. The first is the classical approach based on natural theology. What do we learn from the world? Okay. The presuppositional approach, using scripture to to give us a sense of what is true about our world, about reality. Presuppositional is based on scripture. The existential approach, and I think that's a picture of C.S. Lewis right there, is based on emotions. Okay? Now, this is a gross oversimplification, but I think it's helpful. I think the thing we need to remember is there can be a variety of approaches to apologetics. If you only want to do one of these, you're going to start getting into trouble. But if this is what you're expecting this morning, I will apologize one more time. (laughs) We are not going to be doing much of this today. Okay? If you're interested in this more kind of theoretical apologetics, and my guess is about a, a third to a quarter of you guys get really excited about this kind of stuff, my guess is the rest of you probably not so much. It's just you're here because what else is going on, right? I mean, this is, it's kind of a, the monopoly, the Sunday school class monopoly, right? Oh, uh, well, it's apologetics this morning, okay? Or um, go to church twice. So, um, yes, I understand how these things work. If you're interested in more kind of um, thinking, writing, there's just a lot of great resources about that, about um, apologetics. C.S. Lewis, Josh McDowell, Tim Keller, Lee Strobel, Ravi Zacharias, and who is connected to? Yes, right here. I, I, it was in my notes already. Ravi Zacharias, great apologist. These are great resources. As I was preparing this and talking about this with my wife yesterday, I realized all of these sources are people that are older than me. Okay, and, and that's great, but um, she and I kind of came up with Amy or Ewing actually works with Robbie Zacharias Ministries, and she's going to probably do a better job than at least some of these folks at connecting to younger folk. Um, Amy went to um, the church that Shannon and I went to when we lived in Oxford um, uh, 10 years ago, and she's just done a lot of great, she's got a lot of great resources. So, yeah, how many of you guys saw The Case for Christ? There was like the book based on Lee Strobel's, yeah. So there's an apologetics movie out there. You can go, go see it. Um, uh, my wife and I saw it um, uh, on DVD. But today we're not going to focus much on, on content of apologetics, but method. Method. How. How to do apologetics. And I, my one word of advice on apologetics, take people to Jesus. Take people to Introduce them to Jesus. Show them Jesus. Get them into Scripture if at all possible. I would say, ideally, the Gospels. Okay? I think Paul would say, take them into the Gospels. The Gospels are where you meet Jesus in a profound way. Jesus is the most powerful weapon in our apologetic arsenal. Okay? And in both of my books, I appreciate, appreciate Matthew's um, comments about it. In both of these books, what I do at the end of every chapter is I just keep coming back to Jesus. Okay? And I hope you can do that in your conversations when you're talking to people. 
one of the longest, I'll call it unapologetic type discussions in the Bible is actually found in Mark chapter 11 and 12. We're going to look at this. It's, it's actually on your handout. Jesus was being attacked by the religious leaders of his day. And they asked him a barrage of questions about authority, about taxation, about Rome, about the resurrection, about marriage, about the greatest commandment, about the relationship between David and the Messiah. This goes on for two chapters. Mark's, Mark's gospel is actually rather short. It's, 16, it's the shortest gospel. It's 16 chapters. Two chapters is kind of an apologetic discussion, debate, interaction. And they are attacking Jesus, and he is defending his actions and his beliefs. It's really kind of apologetics. So we can learn from Jesus about how to interact, how to argue, how to defend. So what we're going to do is we're going to, when I was here in January, we briefly talked about the, the setup this, of this parable. So there's going to be a little overlap. We didn't, it was at the very end. We're going to start and we're going to talk about Mark 11 and then we're going to look at the parable. And we're going to be asking ourselves the question, what can we learn about apologetics from Jesus? What can we learn about apologetics from Jesus? Um, I need a volunteer. Is there someone? It's on your handout, and it's up here. Is there someone that would be willing to read this aloud for us? Yeah, right here. Gary. And they came again to Jerusalem, and he, Jesus, was walking in the temple with the chief priests and the scribes and elders, elders came to him, and they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Then he replied, From who gave you this authority to do them? And Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, we will say, Why then did why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And he began to speak to them in parables. Great. Thank you, Gary. So the issue here, what, what has Jesus just done? What is, he's kind of riled these religious leaders up. What has he just done? Those guys who maybe did something that kind of messed, got, got people a little riled up. He, he, he chased people out to overturn those tables. Uh, last time my wife did this, she actually took a big table that had a lot of pencils and markers, and she just flipped it over. That's my wife. I, didn't, I, I won't do that. There's not a good table here. But it got people's attention, right? So they're asking him, defend your actions. Give us a defense, Where does your authority come from? Where does your authority... Okay, so I'm going to do this. Turn to a person, maybe, or two. What do we learn? I realize this is, you don't think about this as a, an apologetics-type context, but I think it kind of is. What do we learn about apologetics from Jesus right here? I'm just going to give you like two minutes. Talk to a, a partner, a neighbor. Okay, go. What do we learn about apologetics from just these verses?
Stay focused on this text. All right, I'm going to pull you back together. That might not have been enough time or may have been way too much time. I don't know. Um, Please keep your answers short. I'd love to hear kind of a bunch of things. And then we're going to try to summarize and kind of pull things together. What things did you and your partners come up with from here about apologetics? Okay, I'm going to to keep you focused on Mark 11. I don't want to jump all over the Bible, okay? Um, I love to jump all over the Bible. I just don't want to do that right now. Okay, that's just, let's keep focused. What'd you guys come up with? Yeah, right here. Okay, how do you, I, I really like what you're saying. How do you see that in the text? Just support that a little bit. You've got to know your audience. Okay. Great, great. Okay, yeah. That's great. Yep. Okay. Someone else? Yeah, back there. Okay, so authority comes up big here, and so it's really a question we have to be thinking about. Um, And Jesus, they raise it, and he comes back to it. That's good. Back in the way back. Okay, okay. So if we kind of extrapolate that, we might interact with people that don't, their their own worldview may be in flux. They're trying to figure it out, so maybe we can help them. But that's a great point. Oh, gosh. That's kind of related to the audience. Um, There may be some, I'm just going to write the word flux here in terms of what the audience is thinking or believing. Yeah, and then there was someone else. Yep. Okay, he doesn't even answer them. Okay, now, I want to think about this. Did other people talk about the non-answer? Did you guys talk about that? 
Okay, I can't see you if you're nodding your head. Um, uh, but I, I want to talk about the non-answer a little bit here. What do you guys think about? Yeah, back in the back. There is something about actually knowing that you have authority. Now, that should, again, it's what I was saying before. Christianity is not a house of cards. Relax. We don't always need to defend ourselves. Um, we, we, we may, and we often will, but there's times where we may not need to do that. Yeah. Um, yes. Okay, so doesn't prove. Doesn't have to do it. Jesus has had a lot of interactions. I mean, read through Mark's, read through all the Gospels, read through Mark's. Jesus is, this is like the fifth or sixth time Jesus has interacted with them. So there's a process. Yeah, that's good. Yes. Okay. Yes, so Jesus is not, I mean, again, for those of us who are married, if we get really defensive about something, we generally think of that, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Yeah, I think that's kind of a bad thing. Okay, You want to avoid defensiveness. So it is kind of weird as we approach the topic of apologetics to say, we are defending the faith. Okay, yes we are, but we got to be careful here that we can be defending without being defensive. And I think Jesus is... I complete, yeah, go ahead. Well, that's why I don't like the title apologetic. That to me means you are in a defensive mode right away. Okay. If I believe that, why well, I'll, I'll let you talk to... You and Matthew can kind of work that one out. And I don't want to get in the way of that. Um, but, I mean, again, it is a little bit like what I was um, getting at a minute ago. Um, there is a reason. And, you know, Peter tells us we do need to have reasons. But it's re- we have to be careful... What else can we say about how can we not be defensive based on how Jesus interacts with these people here? Yeah, go ahead, right here. Okay. Okay, so Jesus, um, on one level, is offensive. um, Let's talk about his offensive strategy a little bit more there. What is his strategy? Wait, who said that? Questions. Okay. In fact, I'm, I want to say I want to talk more about questions. I don't know. Some of you guys were here when I taught in January. Okay, we talked about that a lot. How does Jesus respond to a question? Often with another question. Is that how apologetics discussions often go? I was speaking at Bucknell University on God behaving badly. Uh, this was a couple of years ago. And the, the Bucknell InterVarsity Christian Fellowship had done a, a big outreach week. And the, the, the group was really big then. There were like over 100 people at the meeting. And the, apolog- the, the Atheist Club came. They filled up an entire row. Um, and one of the very first questions was, it was basically about the problem of evil. I guess that's week three. The problem of evil. And so this woman, um, Sydney was her name. She, you know, she's like, you know, how could you believe in this God? And you know, what do you think about a God that does all these things? And my, que- my response was a question. What do you think? And she didn't like it. Um, but 
we ended up actually having a discussion, and the, the, the atheist kind of got kind of riled up about this. One of the, the atheists came up and actually apologized for the behavior of his fellow atheist to me afterwards. Because he's like, well, you were just asking a question and trying to... I said, I've been talking for 40 minutes. I want to hear what you think. Respond to questions like Jesus with questions. And um, now there's a way that that can be moving on the offensive, but you really, why ask questions? Why ask questions? It helps you know your audience. Yes, that's good. That's good. You get to know them better. You force them to think. Good. What other, what other reasons? Why ask questions? It's about dialogue and interaction. It's about relationship. Fantastic. My wife is doing, she just finished her doctor of ministry, and one of her research topics was of like, how do people learn? Now, I could come up here and talk at you for 60 minutes, and you would love it because it would all just be pure gold, right? <laughs> well, you laughed at that. <laughs> it would not be pure gold. There may be a, no, but dialogue, it's how people learn. It's how Jesus taught. It's how Jesus did apologetics. He asked questions. Yeah. Um, there was a, I saw a hand just a second ago. Nope. Okay, questions. Ask questions. When people ask you a question, respond with a question. It's, more, the, it's the relationship is important. Now, Jesus does give content. But the content happens in the context of relationship. Okay, he's going to get to it. He's going to get to it. Other things you guys came up with about Jesus and Jesus' approach to apologetics here? You guys hear what Gary just said? He tells parables. Okay. What do you guys think about that as an apologetic strategy? It's excellent because it makes them come up with their own answers. Okay. Okay, so it, 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 it's not frivolous. It's totally related. But, yeah, uh, actually, I saw, yeah, right here. How many of you guys like reading fiction or watching movies? Okay, maybe a quarter of you guys. The rest of you guys don't. You guys don't watch TV. You just, I don't know. But stories have an ability. Explain that just a little bit more. Yeah, back in the back. Yeah, it does. And Jesus tells parables all the time. I mean, less so in John, but particularly in the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Jesus is always telling parables. And he answers, I mean, this is one of the things we talked about um, back in January. Um, Jesus is always asking questions and, um, and telling stories. He tells parables to make a point. Um, and he also sometimes doesn't give an answer, which I just think is interesting. Because part of it, he knows the audience. Um, 
Where was Jesus when this happened? He's in the temple. Now, what types of people are you going to encounter in the temple? Religious leaders. And he went and he overturned the tables. Sometimes you may need to go places and do things that are kind of provocative. Maybe not quite that provocative. I'm not sure you should do that during the worship service. Well, Professor Lamb said we should, you know, make a just big disruption in the No, don't do that. Okay? But yeah, some of you guys are laughing about that. Uh, but to think about Jesus was often provoking people to respond. And then he was in the temple later. To have inter- interactions with people on apologetic nature, you need to be in places where you can do that. I think for some Christians, we spend all our time with other Christians. Okay? Sometimes we need to be in places where we can interact with people that we can have apologetic discussions with. For those of you guys who, um, maybe some of you guys, I'm, I'm kind of looking around, some of you guys may be in college, but I'm guessing more of you, there's probably more people in this room that have children that are in college, or you, you know people that are in the college age. There's a lot of these types of discussion that happen in college campus contexts. Um, but these conversa- conversations can come up in workplaces as well. But making yourself available to have these types of interactions. Ah. Um, okay, any other things you guys saw here? About Jesus and apologetics. Yes, last comment. <laughs> yes. Sure. And, what, and, and this is kind of related to what this, this woman said a few minutes ago. How do we respond to that when someone makes a comment to that? Why do you live the way you do? How, do, how can we respond thinking about this? How can we respond to that? Yep. I think you can think of speak on what you know. Okay, sure. Speak on what you know. Good. Yep. Yep, yep, that's good. Speak on what you know. Good, what else? Yep. Tell a story of what God has done in your life. Practice that story. Maybe you've got a one-minute version. Maybe they've got time for a 20-minute version. Tell stories. Tell stories, your testimony of how God has been at work. Okay. Um, back, back, Back there, yep. It does. What are you doing? Where's your authority come from? Yeah, yeah. Now, what are, one of the things I, I love here is um, they discuss, what do they say? And they discussed it with one, this is verse 31. If we say from heaven, he will say, why then did you not believe him? What do they expect Jesus to say to them? How do they expect Jesus to respond to if they say he came from heaven? What do they expect Jesus to frame his... How do they expect Jesus to respond? 
Yeah, yeah, they're going to criticize it. But they know he is going to say, why then did you not believe him? What kind of a statement is that? They understand that he is the Lord, at least on some level, although they're, they're kind of confused. They're like, well, we can't say from heaven, because then they'll say, why don't um, John now, where he came from, why did you not believe him? Um, but they can't say from men, because they're afraid of the men. But when they put words in Jesus' mouth, they're, they're, they know what he is going to say. He's going to ask another question. They know he's going to ask another question. They have been around him long enough. They knew he was going to, they're going to, he will say, why? They've been around Jesus so much. Do people, students in my class, kind of make a joke? Because when they ask a question, they know what I'm going to say. Because I'm going to say, what do you think? And they make a joke. They know that about me. Do people know that about you? That when you interact with them, you just ask questions. Wow. Wouldn't that be cool? Because that's what people thought about Jesus. He just asked so many questions that when you interact with him, you, you know, you can guess he's going to ask a question. Uh, there's more here, but this is, this is great. I want to move on. I'm going to do the same thing when this parable. And this, you guys, this has been like kind of intro... This next one's going to be a little harder to figure out. How do we learn apologetics lessons from a parable? Okay, what do we learn? How can we learn about apologetics from a parable? So I want somebody else to read this aloud. But again, we're going to be asking ourselves, what can we learn about apologetics from this? Who will be willing to read this loud for us? Right there in the green. Now, they, they, other groups come back, and the discussions and the interactions and the debate continues for pretty much the rest of chapter 12. Um, so I want to discuss in a minute what do we learn about apologetics, but let's just, this is a little bit of a confusing parable. I realize some of you guys may have studied, some of you guys may have taught on this, um, but some of you guys probably haven't or it's less familiar. Let's just 
Try to identify who's the owner, who are the tenants, who are the servants. So each of these groups of people kind of represent someone. It's, a, it's, it's not really an allegory, but it has a little bit of that element. Who, is, who does the owner or the vineyard, the vineyard owner represent in this story? God, yeah, I'm, I'm glad there's not a lot of debate about that. Yeah, it's God, right? You know, um, Who are the tenants? The people, but maybe which people? Maybe the Israelites. Now, again, we could, we could kind of fudge around a little bit. Probably the Israelites. Um, God, and we could come back to that. Who are the servants? Prophets. Great. Okay, now this one's really tricky. The son. Yeah, all right. Jesus, the Sunday school answer. Great. Jesus. Okay, now turn to your partner or group of trio, uh, trio, trio, whatever. Your group of three, I guess that's how we say that. Um, talk about, this was, this was going to be a little harder. How do we get apologetics lessons from this passage? Okay, but just go ahead and see what you can come up with. I'm going to give you like a minute or two. and We're going to do what we did on the last one. We're going to come back and bring things together. So turn to your partner or so. Look at the passage. It's here. It's on your handout. What do you learn about apologetics from this? All right, I'm going to uh, interrupt you all here. What sorts of things did you all come up with? Again, I realize this is a little, you may have to be a little more creative here, okay? What do we learn about how to do apologetics? Um, and some of the stuff may relate to what we just talked about, but some of the stuff, uh, maybe not so much. Uh, yeah, back in the back. Okay, um, so he uses scripture, the Bible. And he asks a question. Um, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm going to kind of... How does he use Scripture? Do you guys talk about that a little bit? 
How does he use scripture? Okay. Okay. So he tells a parable. Um, he starts with the parable. Now, this is going to be a little bit high end. Jesus' parable, you know what the, the kind of the, the rough basis of this parable comes? It actually comes from an Old Testament passage. I'd be a little surprised if someone knows what this might. There's a, there's a, a similar kind of, well, is that, was that a? Nathan? Yeah, the, the, the rich guy and the poor guy, yeah. Yeah, so there, there's, that's not the one I was thinking about, but that would be interesting. We could kind of develop that some more. Yeah, the, the parable Jesus tells about the, 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 the rich farmer that's got a lot of sheep, and the poor farmer and the rich farmer takes, um, and kind of in that parable, that one poor ewe lamb represents kind of Bathsheba. Isaiah chapter 5. Is it someone actually know that? Okay, I saw a couple heads. He's referring to Isaiah 5. It's the parable, I mean, it's the song of the vineyard. Okay. Now, back in the back, you said he quotes scripture. Do you know what he was quoting there? Do I know? Are you talking about, have you read the scripture, the stone that the builders rejected has become? Do I know where that's from? Uh, it may be quoted in Matthew as well, but in terms of the original place it came from in the Old Testament. Psalm 118. Very good. Yeah, again, I, I don't want to do too much kind of Bible. Psalm 118, 22 and 23. Okay, so Jesus' parable is kind of a paraphrase of Isaiah 5. He also directly quotes Psalm 118. But Jesus' entire parable is essentially doing what? The whole story of, of what? Yeah, so it's, it's really a retelling of what? It, it's telling the whole story, but like... Well, but... but I mean, Okay, yes, yes, yes. But before we get to the gospel, what is most of this about? What is he retelling? The Old Testament. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's retelling the Old Testament, pointing to himself. It really is the story of the gospel. But Jesus is kind of retelling the entire Old Testament in this. <laughs> yes. Now, again... So how would you describe the tone of Jesus' question there? So this is, in terms of how open-ended would you call this? I mean, is this a, I mean how, how comfortable would you feel like talking to somebody? Have you not read? That feels, how does that feel to y'all? Yeah, you've got to be careful about that. But let's remember, this is not Jesus' first interaction with these guys. Okay, he's been talking to them and having numbers of interactions with them before he finally gets to the point where he says, have you not read? He assumes that they have read. Now, again, you're going to be interacting with people on, about apologetic discussions. You got to, it's what we said before. You've got to know your audience. Do they know the Bible? And if they don't, you need to keep that in mind. 
But if they do know the Bible, you can feel a little bit more freedom. I, I just the thing I love here is Jesus knows the Bible. He quotes a passage verbatim. He kind of re-paraphrases or reappropriates um, Isaiah 5, the song of the vineyard. And then he is able to really kind of retell the entire story of Scripture in a parable. Wow. He, he has got a comprehension of Scripture that, well, I mean, he's Jesus. <laughs> but it's something to strive for, okay? And if, and if some of you guys are feeling a little humbled, don't be humbled. Well, maybe be a little humbled, but just be motivated. Yeah, I could get to know. If I, if I knew my Bible better, that would help me as an apologist. What else did you kind of... So he quotes scripture. He asks a question. It's a little more pointed this time. Have you not read? <laughs> um, he asks a parable. Other things you guys came up with here. Okay. Okay. So how do, how do you see that here? Where, where does the individual stand? Okay, so it, it does address them. How, yeah. Okay. Okay. Okay, so it's a, it is in the context of relationship, and it's just going to be another step. Okay, and you know the, the discussion on some level, does continue for a, a few, several more incidents in Mark 12. Uh, yes? Uh, along that line, I think that he's pointing towards conviction and that they would indeed think that a man would repent. How do you see that? I agree with that. How, how, does he, how, do, how do you see that? He does want them to change their mind and repent. How does he move them towards conviction? I mean, and, and, and anybody can... Okay, so by kind of focusing on, have you not read? And they do realize this parable is, is addressing them. So, I mean, really, hmm, when he talks about, <laughs> he talks about judgment. Sorry, who said that? He talks about judgment. How often do we talk about judgment in our apologetics discussions? What, let's talk about this. Pros and cons. What do you think about that? Yeah, that's, that's kind of tricky. What do you think about that? Probably not good in the first conversation. Why not? Again, this is not Jesus' first conversation with these guys. Earlier in Mark, they bring a... Uh, a man with a withered hand to see Jesus on the Sabbath. Is he going to heal him? Is he going to heal him? And Jesus, what does Jesus do? He does. Stretch out your hand and he heals him. And what does it say? Jesus was grieved at the hardness of heart about these, these, these religious leaders. He was grieved. He did not, he did not want them to be hard-hearted. And he engaged with them. Okay? But he does get... Why is it loving to talk about judgment? It's the truth. 
So let's, talk, let's flesh that out a little bit. Why, it's the truth. Okay, why is it? So, yeah, let's, more on that, more on that. Why is it loving to talk about judgment? It takes wisdom to know the timing. Probably not the first conversation. Yeah, oh, back in the back over there. You know, this is not going to be comfortable. Jesus talks about hell more than anyone in the Bible. And I would argue that Jesus was the most loving person that's ever walked the planet. And he talked about hell more than anyone else. Now again, it takes wisdom. Not first conversations, but ultimately, it's common. And, you know, better to get people, just give people an expectation. And you don't have to go into all the details of it, but Judgment is coming, and Jesus was willing to talk about it. Yeah, over here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We need to talk about it. Now, again, it takes wisdom to know. And, again, some people are just going to say, I'm not interested at all. You know, particularly if you come and bring up, there's got to be a depth of relationship. Um, But for Jesus... I think one of the biggest things is, if I could say, Jesus responds often indirectly. Okay? He talks about judgment, but he talks about it. He doesn't say, you you know, he's not wearing the sandwich board. Maybe you guys, you know, you could try that sometime. The sandwich board. Some of you guys don't know what I'm even talking about. Turn or burn. Right? That's direct. I mean, it's true. Right? And it is important to be true. There's not a wisdom about that. Jesus tells about judgment, but he tells about it indirectly. Okay? He asks questions. He tells stories. And even when he, he's warning people, he's talking about it indirectly. Yeah, right here. Yeah, thank you, David. First of all, very pleasant. It's nice how you're engaging the audience. Good. Yes. He does. He engages them with things that as religious leaders yes. they already know. Yes. And he doesn't like get upset, but he um, you know, as Jenny said, um, you want to have the second conversation. You do. And we don't want to lose that. And Amen. In the past I've done that so many times I've now shifted how I even approach this. Good. Yes. Amen. You, it, it really, you want to hold on to the relationship. You, the relationship is the context, the, the conduit for, I mean, not that it's, it's, it's not just about conversion. The person themselves is the means. They're the, the, the end. They're the end. We have to value the relationship because it's the person that matters because we want to connect people to God. So, but there are ways that we can do that. And again, when we're talking, people, we want to do this sort of the download dump. We want to convince people of Christianity. But it just doesn't, it doesn't always work like we want. Um, and so, um, oh, I'm seeing a, a number. Yeah, right, right here, this gentleman. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. No, I think, and Jesus is the good shepherd, and he's talking about that, and he, you know, he tells parables. So he was always, let me just, gotta, 10 o'clock straight up, do we, I mean, if we need to end at 10, that's great, I just, 10. Okay, but no, that's good, that's great, I, I needed to talk to the powers that be, but um, uh, just a couple last comments, then I kind of want to bring it together, was there, uh, yeah, right, actually right here. Okay. Jesus doesn't answer their question, right? Ah, but does he? They ask, what's the original question? What is the, his answer to that? Scripture, actually, and, and he kind of gives two answers. Scripture, and what else, though? Who sent the Son? Who sent the Son? The Father in heaven, right? Again, I'm, I'm kind of mixed. He answers the question, even though he says, I'm not going to answer your question. He does answer the question indirectly. Leave people wanting more. Leave people asking questions. Okay, so there was maybe one last comment back there. Sorry. And, and we pray, I mean, we've got we to gotta be praying. It doesn't, it doesn't address here. I mean, Jesus certainly talks about it elsewhere. The Holy Spirit is going to be key in any of these discussions, and we've got to be praying for that. This is it, a spiritual, God needs to be in the midst here. Um, but I do just want to say, I think it is important, where does the authority come from? His authority comes from Scripture. Jesus is always engaged in Scripture. He's quoting the Old Testament left and right. And he is telling you, he is answering them. I, I am, he doesn't say this here. What is Jesus predicting in this, in this parable here? He is predicting his own death. And ironically, as Jesus talks about this, they get even more angry because they, he's, he's telling it against them. So there is a way that Jesus' parable is a catalyst for what is going to happen. Now, interesting, does Jesus defend God here? In fact, how does God kind of look a little bit here? How does, what's that? Dumb. Why do you think God looks kind of dumb? Oh, yeah, I'll just, I'll send my son. Yeah, they'll respect him, yeah. It's, I, I, I wrote about this a long time ago. I called it the naive vineyard owner. I didn't say dumb, but uh, your words, not mine, okay. There's a way that he kind of throws God under the bus. Now, ultimately, what's going to happen? Judgment is coming. But Jesus... God doesn't need defending. And Jesus has got the confidence. You're, in, you're moving into an in, apologetic discussion. Just take a deep breath. Relax. Christianity is not a house of cards. It's not going to collapse if you don't have the brilliant, perfect answer. If you don't respond with the wisdom of Jesus. Now, 
If you want to respond with more of the wisdom of Jesus, I think you're going to learn from his example. You're going to ask questions. You're going to tell stories. You're going to understand your audience. You're going to know the Bible. Okay? You're going to learn from Jesus' example. At the end of this whole interaction, there's a scribe that comes up to Jesus and asks him, what is the greatest command? And Jesus says, love God and love your neighbor, even your neighbor that you are in an apologetics debate with. Love your neighbor. And then the guy says to him, wow, he agrees with Jesus and he kind of waxes on. And what does Jesus say? This is at the end of this long debate. You are not far from the kingdom of God. And that's really what we're all about here. We're about connecting people to God um, and Jesus, the King of the Kingdom of God. Let me pray and we'll conclude here. Jesus, we need wisdom. We need help. Help us to be more like you. Help us to learn from your model. Help us to ask questions. Help us to tell stories. Help us to love the people that we are interacting with. Love our neighbors as we are trying to love you. And help us just to relax a little bit. Um, God, there are a lot of resources out there we can learn about apologetics from, these books we talked about. Um, But ultimately, we want to be connecting people to Jesus. We want them to connect them to you, Lord. Give us strength. Give us wisdom, Jesus. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Thank you. This has been delightful. I'm here for a little bit at least. Yep. And um, books are there. Thanks.